0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to
1: oneandall.media. I try to put myself in Gideon's place, and I, I probably would be thinking, why? I just lost two thirds of an already ill equipped and ill trained army. So God gives this test. It's these tests that God sends us that we think are not significant. These little things that happen every day, little things that God takes note of and continues to send those same tests our way until we pass so that the next event and the next event, and it's always working us up towards some extraordinary event in our lives. Because remember, even when we fail those tests, salvation, forgiveness comes to the cross, but greatness comes through obedience. Today, today, today,
0: today, with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Mm -hmm. Welcome to another episode of Today with Jeff Vines. Today, we continue with Pastor Jeff's series called Unpossible as we examine the life and faith of Gideon. In Judges chapter six and seven, we identify seven resolutions that can guide us to live full lives with a sense of joy and connection with God. Here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of today's message, looking at how Gideon responds to God in some challenging situations.
1: I try to put myself in Gideon's place in a I probably would be thinking, why? I just lost two thirds of an already ill-equipped and ill-trained army. But there's no time for rebuttal because as the 22,000 men are headed over the hill home, God speaks to Gideon again. He gives them a second test. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. but the Lord said this to Gideon. There are still too many men. Take down to the water or them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues, as would a dog, from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. With the fear test completed, Gideon, God says, still has too many men and the second test must be applied. So he moves from four to one odds and then 22,000 men leave. So he's down to 13 to one odds, 10,000 against 135,000. And the Bible says in verse one, that Jerubbaal, remember, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. So again, as these 22,000 men are packing up their tents and going home, the Midianite warriors are watching this from above. Now you say, well, why didn't they attack immediately? Now they're significantly, they significantly outnumber the Israelites. And the only answer I know to that is, I don't know, but God knew they would not. He's still in charge. He knows what he's doing. Now here's the reasoning because the spring of Herod is adjacent to the hill of Moray, If you get down in the stream and you drink like a dog drinks, okay, some of them are going to get down on one knee and they're going to take the water and bring it to their mouths and quench their thirst. Others, according to the test, are going to get down on both knees and they're going to get down and lap the water as a dog would with his tongue. Everybody that got down on all fours and lapped the water with their tongues, they were told to go home. The reason most probably is where the first test was a fear test. This is more of a fervency test, a test of seriousness. So if I get down and I lap the water like this, that means I'm getting my need met, but I also have one eye on the enemy. I'm taking this battle seriously. But if I get down on all fours and I lap the water like a dog would, I've taken my eyes completely off the enemy. I'm not that serious about the enemy. My own interest, resides in getting my own need met. So God gives this test. And let me just stop right there just for a moment. It's these tests that God sends us that we think are not significant. These little things that happen every day, little things that we think aren't that important that God takes note of and continues to send those same tests our way until we pass so that the next event and the next event, and it's always working us up towards some extraordinary event in our lives. So that our response to seemingly insignificant tests, those we face each day often becomes the determining factor of what God will do in our lives. And our response to those tests is the difference between a mediocre life and an extraordinary life. And the life that constantly loses the battle, constantly, fails test after test after test, is the one that is destined for mediocrity. I can't stress that enough. It's not only the test that comes into your life of how you will respond to the big things, it's also how you will respond to the little things. When someone gossips or slanders about you, when someone wounds you, when someone hurts you, when someone betrays you when you don't get what you think you're entitled to. All those little tests, when somebody cuts in front of you, the little tests, God sees every single one of them. And if you wonder sometimes why those tests keep happening to you, it's because you haven't passed it yet. And until you pass that test, you can't move from glory to glory. Remember the old philosophical question? I love it. If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around to hear it, does it still make a sound? In response to that query, someone quipped these words. There once was a man who said God must think it exceedingly odd if he finds that this tree continues to be when there's no one about in the quad. Dear sir, your astonishment's odd. I'm always about in the quad. And that's why this tree will continue to be since observed by yours faithfully, God. The point is nothing is hidden from God. Of course, it makes a sound because God hears it. God is an active participant in every single event of your life. And I'm trying to get you to see not only the big ones, but down to the minute ones, the small ones. From the way you respond to the guy who cuts you off in traffic or cuts line at the coffee shop to the way you respond when unfortunate news turns your world upside down, God is always watching. Emmanuel means God with us. It means exactly that. Now, that would be terrifying if it weren't for the grace and mercy of God. Because remember, even when we fail those tests, salvation, forgiveness comes to the cross, but greatness comes through obedience. Salvation comes to the cross, but greatness comes through obedience. And if you think you can live in direct disobedience to God in any area of your life and experience extraordinary life, You'll get by for a while on your own talents and abilities, but sooner or later, your sins will find you out. God loves you, but you're stuck. You're stuck. You're not going anywhere. And you're definitely not going to achieve your greatest potential. If you want to get the most out of your life, if you want to be used by God for extraordinary things, if you want to escape this life of mediocrity into the land of extraordinary adventure, you must develop the crucial habit of obeying God even when it seems unreasonable to you. Your willingness to follow his instruction determines his willingness to pour out his divine energy into your life. Following Jesus unconditionally leads to adventures and victories beyond what you could hope or imagine. My Christian friends always tell me, especially my younger ones, They passionately desire to experience life like Joseph and Esther and Abraham and Moses. Do you know the unfortunate events they faced? Do you know the difficult commands God instructed them to follow? Joseph's pathway to the palace was through a prison cell. Moses' way to the promised land was through 40 years in the wilderness without gaining entrance. Esther's way into the king's court was through the threatened genocide of her people. In every one of those heroic narratives, the one or ones who experienced the extraordinary life, miraculous, adventurous life, also encountered numerous unfortunate predicaments. And in each instance, they were required to obey the hard word, and they did. And quite frankly, in other stories in the Bible, if God gave the hard word and someone disobeyed, he's still gracious. Lamentations, his mercies are new every day, but that didn't prevent God from placing them into a similar situation until they graduated the course. If they obeyed, God moved them to the next phase of the journey that ultimately ended in this intoxicating euphoria. Now again, along the way, can I tell you that the sad truth for many Christ followers is they never make it out of the faith-building phase. Oh, that's so sad. Because they refuse to trust that God's way is the better way. And so God just keeps sending them these unfortunate events throughout the entire course of their lives until they decide they're going to trust God's ways the best way and obey the hard word. Now you're stuck, still loved, but you're stuck. Slandering your way into a favored position because you don't trust God to provide will not work. It may give you immediate pleasure, but you'll end up sacrificing your future. Withholding your first fruits from God displays doubt and skepticism that God will provide every need and also reveals the the truth of your heart. You're stuck. Making poor choices with regard to entertainment reveals a cavalier attitude toward holiness and a lack of commitment toward God's word and the renewing of one's mind that you may learn what is good and acceptable. Such attitudes restrict God's ability to use you for grand purposes and design. The more we live outside of his parameters, the longer we stay stuck in mediocre lives. And there are hundreds of decisions we make every single day which reflect our loyalty or disloyalty to God. Let me say it again. Our response to seemingly insignificant tests will often be the determining factor of what God will or will not do in our lives. And many will miss out on the God-ordained adventurous experiences because they've never made it past the first phase of faith and trust in God's way, in God's word. And they've never obeyed the hard word. Now here's the good news and the bad news. God is patient and long suffering and will never give up on you. He will continue to test you until you graduate. He will keep pulling the rug out from under you until you fall into his arms. Your best life. And he does that not because he's Not because he dislikes you or hates you. He does that because he knows that your best life as his child is on the other side of obeying the hard word. There's a blogger that I follow, Diana Simons. Let me tell you what she says. She says, I would like to suggest that God is unreasonable, not because of what he asks of us is just too difficult, but because we can't reason him fully. In other words, we're highly unqualified to evaluate or calculate the workings and doings of God. So what does it say about us when we look at God's word and we say, well, I'm not sure I agree with that. She goes on. When it comes to understanding what God is doing in the world and more specifically in our lives, we are like ants on a Rembrandt. We crawl across the dark brown and think that all of life is dark brown. Then we hit green and think, oh, this is much better. Now all of life is green. But soon comes the dark blue and then a splash of yellow, a streak of red, And then another patch of brown. On we journey from one color to another, never realizing that God is actually painting a masterpiece in our lives using all of the colors of the palette. One day, we will discover that every color had its place, had a reason, nothing was wasted or out of sync. Just as there is a time and a season for everything, there's also a color for every stage of life's journey. When the painting is finished, we will discover that we were part of his masterpiece from the very beginning. Every phase of our lives has God's paintbrush written all over it. Every event, a test to measure our growth in faith. Because remember, he's building giant killers. Can I just say to you, if you're stuck and you feel as though you're not being used for anything great, in fact, you may even feel that right now you're holding on for dear life. This is the perfect time to ask God to give you a Jesus revelation and to reveal to you that area in your life where you're in direct disobedience, feliciously believing that your disobedience will not impact the quality of your life. This is a great time then when God opens your eyes to that reality or truth that you repent and move on. Because until you do, yeah, God's grace is there. God loves you. God saves you. But you're stuck. You're stuck in a mediocre life when God has so much more for you. Commit to chase hard after resolution two. I will affirm that God will often require me to do something that seems unreasonable, knowing that my obedience leads to the greatest adventures and victories of my life. Now, just stay with me. When God told Gideon to sift his army, do you think Gideon thought that such a command was unreasonable or reasonable? Well, that's that's easy. He would have thought that's unreasonable. Four to one, 13 to one. And now, after these two tests, we're gonna learn later, there's 300 men left. Now the odds are 450 to one. And when the odds are 450 to one, the only way you can be victorious is God. The more reasonable thing for Gideon to have done, and I'm sure, not sure, but I suspect that what Gideon thought God was going to say to him was to blow the trumpet and call the Ephraimites to come and help, and let's at least get this thing even. In fact, later on in the text, the Ephraimites are mad that Gideon did not call them, but God wasn't trying to increase the numbers. He was trying to increase their faith and their trust in God's ability to deliver. But had he disobeyed in any area of his life, then the battle would have been lost. I have so many examples of this in personal relationships that God has given me throughout the course of my life. I've mentioned my friend, Coach Tony Bennett. When I think of how Tony gave up an NBA contract to stay in New Zealand, when he was looking at $3.3 million and he turns it down to make $30,000 a year, because he said that God called him to stay in New Zealand and to do ministry and that the day for coaching would come. And then I look at his life now because he obeyed the hard word. Look at how God uses him now. But if Tony had said no, would his life have turned out the same way? I'm not sure. I think of my friend Clive Raharui that I often talk about, this entrepreneur who starts businesses, launches them, sells them off, starts more businesses, how he just shows up in L.A., a few years ago and says i've sold everything i've got no job but i'm here because i believe god wants to take the gospel to the world and then i look at how he lived by strictly by faith lived in the spirit and over the course of years god continued to provide and now here we are where literally millions all over the globe are hearing the gospel in their own language i think of my friend i'm not going to use his name because it's still too raw but my friend that i have that lives on the other side of the states, who's been through the fire. When the markets crashed, when real estate crashed, all of this he had built up began to fade away. He lost his friends. Even his church did not respond well to him. He was deeply wounded and hurt. As long as he had money and things, he was everybody's friend. When he lost everything, everybody betrayed, everybody left him. But God told him, hey, pay back your creditors. Tell them, meet with them. Don't run. Do the right thing. He even had a, a season where his wife left him and God told him, hey, I'm going to restore this. Remain faithful. Keep the lines of communications open with your wife. Keep the lines of communication open with your creditors. And he stays in that hard season when he feels like he's alone on an island and he does everything that God asked him to do while being somewhat mad at God, I have to tell you. But he says, I'm going to obey the hard word. And then on the other side of that to see him now where his marriage is restored where he's giving millions and millions of dollars to places in Africa to dig wells, start churches. And I go back and I look at that and I think, what if he had not obeyed the hard word? Because that would have been a hard word. For my friend Tony to remain in New Zealand and do ministry seemed unreasonable. For my friend Clive to sell everything and move to LA had to seem unreasonable. And for my other friend to take his wife back into his home to forgive those who had abandoned him had to have seemed unreasonable. And yet they pass the test. So the ultimate question comes for all of us now. Given the fact that God sees every event in your life, that he sees what's coming before you do, he sees all the moving parts around you, he sees all the decisions that everyone's going to make around you, your boss, your spouse, your children, everyone and everything. Are you willing now to be used by God for something extraordinary, for an extraordinary victory? But are you stuck? Are you stuck because you won't trust and obey the hard word? You know, I didn't know this, but Chris Pratt, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Jurassic, do you know that he's a Christ follower? But I read his story this past week. Do you know that he was struggling? I think he was working at a supermarket in Hawaii. And his life was going nowhere. He was making a lot of bad choices. And then one day he came outside of the local market. He encountered a man named Henry. Henry. Pratt says, I should have been nervous around this guy because he just looked different, but for some strange reason, I wasn't. And he said, then this man, Henry, spoke to me and said, young man, God instructed me to speak to you. Pratt goes on to not tell us everything because it's very private, but Pratt ended up following this guy, Henry, to church. And at church, Chris says, I heard the voice of God to change the path that I'm on. He gave me a hard word to turn my back on this group of friends that were leading me down a path of destruction. He said, I, I realized the sin that I had in my life, and I, that day I received Christ and I've never looked back. I knew it would be risky following Jesus because I'd have to leave the job that I was presently in. I'd have to leave the friendships I had. My family might even abandon me. But I also knew that this road, was, I was almost very foolish and very risky. I decided right then and there I would obey God no matter how hard the word was as long as God would keep speaking to me like he had that day. He said, by the way, I've never seen Henry again. Never. And where I live, it's a small town. It's almost like God sent an angel to me in one moment at one time. But I told God, you give me the hard words and I will obey. And God keeps giving me the hard words. And I don't know if you know this, but Hollywood has made significant uh, efforts to cancel Chris Pratt. But yet when you read his story, is he unhappy? Anything but. And he keeps quoting, you can gain the world and lose your soul. Actors like Chris Pratt and Denzel Washington, Jim Conviesel, many others have been canceled by Hollywood, but they've come together in places like Pray.com and, a, and Angel Studios to produce global Christian content. They've all lost significantly, but they've gained so much more. One last time. Do you know this hard word that God is asking you to obey is there because he loves you and he wants the best life for you. Now, let me finish with this. Who obeyed the hardest word? Who obeyed the most unreasonable word? Who was told to leave his home when there could be no better home than heaven? Who was told to go down there and take on flesh and live a sinless life, be tempted in all things like they are and live a sinless life? Who was told don't yield to the temptation to use your power to gain the world? Who was told suffer injustice, be betrayed by your closest friends, be denied by your closest friend, die on a cross to save others? suffer separation from your father. Jesus did the hard thing and now he sits at the right hand of the father because he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he trusted the father and now reigns with him forevermore. And what I'm saying to you is that until you live your life by the resolution that God will often ask you to do what seems to be unreasonable and you acknowledge that he knows far much more than you do about everything that's happening around you, and because you've learned to trust and obey him, if you will obey this hard word, you, my friend, are about to live an adventurous, extraordinary life. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness and for your patience with us. We know we're saved by grace through faith. We're so thankful for that but we don't want to be stuck. We don't want to be living in such a way because we think we know better than you do and forfeit this great adventure. We know nowhere in Scripture that talks about a mediocre life for Christ followers. Rather, we're called to live a life that's extraordinary. Therefore, whatever hard word you've given us, no matter how unreasonable it may seem, give us the courage to obey that we might live the abundant life and in doing so, help those far from God come near. In Christ's name, amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, you make me-